Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. As I go for my walk today, one of my favorite things to do actually on a daily basis, getting outside, I'm thinking about this episode that I recorded earlier this week for you with Anna Parker Naples. And no one knows the value of just being able to go out and walk better than Anna. She spent um, almost two years disabled in a wheelchair and she was an actress at the time, really, really struggling um, with the fact that she wasn't able to walk and facing really what felt like a very bleak future. Um, Anna went on to overcome this and knew that she wanted to be there as a mother for her children and work from home, but also act. She actually then started a new career after converting her airing cupboard into a studio. Uh, She started a new career in um, audible narration and went on amazingly to win seven Hollywood awards, no less. And it was standing there on the red carpet in a pair of heels, able to walk again, that it really struck Anna that she wanted actually to give back and to show other people how to create the similar success in their businesses and really how to get visible and put your best self forward. And as a um, master practitioner in NLP, Anna has a lot to share on how we can use the power of the mind to achieve the things that we most want in life. And in this episode, we take a deep dive into that. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. So I'm really excited to be here today with you, Anna. Um, We've just been chatting all about mindset and the power of mindset, which is really the key thing that's got you from where you were Um, to the amazing and incredible success that you're having today, both for yourself and for your clients. Um, If we can kind of just track back so people, listeners can kind of get to know you. um, You started out, obviously, as an actress, um, predominantly on the stage, and then you were hit by pretty bad circumstances during your your third pregnancy, um, where you developed a common pregnancy condition, but in your case, it was so severe that you thought you were never actually going to be able to walk again. And and in your book that's just been released, um, you talk about that and the emotional experience of that story. Can you just um, enlighten us a little bit more on that and share with the listeners? Ten years ago, I was told to expect that I'd never walk again. I had something called SPD, symphysis pubis dysfunction, or sometimes it's known as pelvic girdle pain now where essentially my pelvis was falling apart during the pregnancy. And it was the worst case that my hospital had ever seen that they'd ever encountered. And they couldn't see that I was going to recover post-birth enough to be able to walk and to sustain my weight because my bones had become damaged and and all sorts of nasty, uncomfortable things. So I was was basically bed-bound for about 18 months, fully believing that I wouldn't walk again. And... At that point, I was so depressed, I couldn't get myself in and out of the bathroom. Going to the toilet was an issue, so I wasn't hydrating well enough. Uh, I wasn't managing to wash myself. I couldn't wash my hair. I couldn't get into the bath, into the shower. Our house wasn't fitted out for a wheelchair. It takes a long time to renovate a house to to, to accommodate that. And I was really resistant to it at the time. Um, And that's really when I then sought help. Yeah, sure. So, And that was when you... I mean, this must have been particularly debilitating because as an actress on the stage obviously you're used to moving around that's a massive part of your job and then all of a sudden you're wheelchair bound Um, an incredible transformational story for people that aren't watching this on video 
you're in your own studio at the moment, which you then went on to develop in your home to become a, a narrator, basically, for audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you had tremendous success there where you won many awards in Hollywood, um, which is pretty amazing. How did you, in the book, you talk about being at a party and being in the wheelchair and how you just felt like your life was almost over. And then you discovered NLP, which gave you that ability to transform your thoughts and your mindset. Can we talk about that and how you made that shift? Because I know there'll be lots of people listening who really, maybe maybe some people are aware of their limiting beliefs and maybe others aren't. We went to this party and Mm. it it was one of the only times I left the house in about an 18-month period other than to go to hospital. And my parents and my husband had pretty much forced me out of the house. It was very good friends at a New Year's Eve party. They just got engaged as well. And everyone else was in fancy dress. And everyone else, all the other women, were in our 30s. Everyone's wearing, you know, Batgirl, Wonder Woman, all sorts of sexy outfits. And I went dressed as, my husband and I, we went as Lou and Andy from Little Britain <laughs> because that was the only way I could cope. One, I refused to get changed. Two, I hadn't washed my hair in a very long time. Uh, anything hurt. And I... I just couldn't. I just couldn't. So we put on this. I put on this stupid wig. But other than that, I was in the clothing that I was practically just living, breathing, sleeping in. And we went to this party, and I knew then. But I was still heavily pregnant. I knew I couldn't stay that way. I knew I had to do something to be able to cope, because I was about as low as you could get. And once baby was out, it took me a while to work out what I was going to do. But once the baby was born, I went and saw a hypnotherapist who I'd been to years before, so I did have an understanding that hypnosis could help you feel better. And I went and we actually did an NLP session, neurolinguistic programming, and I had no concept of what that was, except that in that conversation, so much changed for me about how I saw myself. I feel like I woke up to things I was talking about all the time, limitations that I had about what I thought I could do with my life, about whose responsibility it was to feel better or to feel bad, but who was making that happen. And I started to take responsibility for how I felt as opposed to feeling that my emotions led me. And that, so for specifically what that meant in that time was he showed me that I was always, I was saying, I'm always in pain, I'm always in agony. And he said to me, is that actually true? Is it true you're always in pain? Talk me through your day, your standard day. What are you doing? And I said, well, I get up and it's, sometimes I'll move from the bed and I'll, I'll manage to get to the sofa before my husband goes for work and then I'll sit there. And he's like, well, what do you do? I said, well, I watch, I watch morning TV. So I'll watch this morning or I'll watch Jeremy Kyle. And he'll say, OK, so when you're watching Jeremy Kyle, tell me what happens. What happened yesterday when you watched it? And I told him and he said, OK, so when you were watching that, were you in pain? And I kind of went, oh, Actually, in that exact moment, I wasn't aware that I was in pain because I was watching Jeremy Kyle. So he said, "Okay, so what's your language? You're saying you're always in pain. And now we've discovered that that's not true. So you've been telling yourself something that is not true. So what else are you saying that's not true? And bit by bit, we unraveled pretty much every sentence I was saying about myself, every statement. And we made this agreement that after I left that room, I would change my language about pain and instead of constantly saying, I'm in pain, I'm so sorry, I'm sore, I'm sorry you've got to look after the kids, I'm useless, I'm a terrible mother and I'm so stuck and I hate this and I'm really angry and woe is me, which was pretty much all my conversation. It's all I said to my husband, to my family, to anyone who came to help. It was always, oh, I'm so much pain. So we put in this system where instead I was allowed to say once, one time, I'm having a healing day today and that was it. 
I was not allowed to talk about what had to happen with the children. My husband had to take responsibility then for parceling what had to happen, responsibility for me, my care for the children, whatever else needed to happen. But I was only allowed to say that one sentence once and it was a healing sentence. And it's a very different energy in your body to say I'm healing rather than to say I'm in pain. Mm. And what I, what happened for me was that within within a short space of time, I started to feel better because I wasn't constantly telling this sob story. Over, and I say sob story, this was genuinely my experience and I had no concept I could get better. But what happened was I started to feel better. I started to feel more optimistic because I was only permitting myself to say positive things or keeping quiet. They were my options. And within a very short space of time, I was actually then able to use a Zimmer frame. So I was back on my feet. So I'd, I was healing and I could see that I was healing. So we carried on and we, we changed our language in the, in the family, in the house, everything. And within a, another short space of time, I was, I was back on my feet using crutches, which gave me enough to be able to get in the car to get the kids to school so I could then have my life back. And I, I didn't expect that I would be able to walk again. I had no concept that at that this, was going to happen. Um, at this point, you're not actually doing any other physical therapy you're just concentrating on your mind I stopped I and stopped then you start the seeing yeah. physical results I stopped seeing the physio because it hurt too much and they were frankly useless and they were quite dismissive of my condition I think because they didn't really know what to do I would say about three months in after this NLP conversation I then had started having cranial osteopathy which but on my pelvis and it's a very um it's acute movement that's normally obviously done on baby skulls or on people's heads. It's very, very cute. A lot of people don't believe it works, but I could only cope with that amount of pressure on my pelvis. That's how much pain I was in. I couldn't bear to be touched in any way. But that I could only get to the, the clinic for that after I'd already got myself back on the Zimmer frame. I basically was going nowhere except sitting in bed or sitting on the sofa uh, and to hospital. That was it. Which is down to the power of your mind, which is amazing because it's kind of like if, you know, for people who are familiar with Dr. Joe Dispenza's work, where, you yes. know, our thoughts um, basically I resonate signal, with that so strongly. Yeah, That's signal. been my experience. And he, I mean, mm. he completely rebuilt his back, didn't he, on the back of it. But, it, you know, it signals that, you know, epigenetics is kind of my area of specialty and we're signaling new genes in new ways all of the time. And just by changing the language, but you were changing there what you were talking about with your husband and your family were you also then at this point consciously changing your own thoughts so the own internal dialogue that you were having? Yes. So I thought a lot, we did a lot of work around metaphors and story that we tell ourselves. We did a lot of work on the kind of language that I was using. We did some really deep hypnosis things and some really intense NLP sessions around how I saw my body's ability to heal, about how I saw opportunity in my life. So this was the other bit. Not only did I rec recover physically but I felt that I I was myself for the first time and that's a really strong statement but I realized that so so much in my early acting career I'd been ready to be attacked ready to be rejected ready to not belong and ready to not fit in so that and those core beliefs came from something that happened in my teenage years and actually once I realized that I'd been talking about the limitation that I could have in my acting career and the limitation I could have as a person that had been fueling lots of my conversations for a long, long time. And then obviously sabotaging my results in my in my performance career. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and hindering relationships that I had. So I uncovered so much about myself and I then started to see, well, actually, if I've been talking about limitation, what if I instead take responsibility for creating opportunity? Because that's the exact opposite of what I've been saying. I'd, I've kind of always been looking for someone else to tell me how to do something or to give me permission to do something. Well, what happens if I look for the opportunity? And what happened for me then was I started looking, well, I want to be a good, a good mum. I want to be a stay-at-home mum. I want to do the school run, which at this point wasn't even possible because I was in bed. Mm. I, I want to be a world-renowned performer. I want to be recognised for my talent. And I want to be at home. How are the, and I want to earn good money. How are these things all going to fit together? But I started to see opportunity. And for me, that opportunity came in, well, I'm, I'm an actor and uh, I'd done a little bit of work on microphone and I understood that the technology had changed so voiceover artists could work from home, voice actors could work from home, doing video games, audiobook narration. Um, I've even worked on Hollywood movies behind the scenes, but from home. And so that start, I started this whole new career as a voice performer from home. Essentially, I started from bed. I was actually in bed when I did my first recording. And what we're, what I'm speaking to you now as I do this interview, I'm actually sat in what used to be my airing cupboard, which was converted into a proper studio because it was the only space in the house that fitted my wheelchair. And as I then went on and had just incredible success with that, and I very particularly across the pond in the US, and within a few years, not only was I fully recovered, I was then on the red carpets winning or nominated as a finalist for many awards in Hollywood as an outstanding performer. And that kind of then led to a whole other up-leveling for me. So I now work helping people with personal development, but within a professional capacity, showing them how they think about themselves and their abilities to do and achieve is actually the thing that makes a difference as to whether they can have what they want in their life. Hence, my book, Get Visible, is about putting yourself out there by making the decision that the things you want are important to you. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a brilliant book because it not only gives you the how-to in terms of actually physically making yourself visible and using things like social media, but there's also lots and lots of exercises within it about how to, first of all, identify what those limiting beliefs are and then how to unlock um, those. And there's, there's definitely a few in there that I think, you know, even people who haven't been through this transformation experience that you have um, could, could benefit from because we all have these negative thoughts. And I think you make the point in there that 60,000 of your, you think around 6,000 thoughts a day. And I think you say 95% of those are repetitive and around 80% are negative. negative. So actually, when people get this kind of feeling of I'm not good enough or imposter syndrome, we're all experiencing it. It's it's not unique to them. No, it's not unique. And I think that's in being really, really brave and raw and vulnerable in what I share in that book. I wanted people to understand that you're not alone, that you have those thoughts. Mm. It's really common to have those thoughts. But I hope that the, the point that I get across is that those thoughts you have about yourself aren't true. It's just that you've been thinking them on repeat for many, many years and again and again and again. So those neural pathways in your brain are really entrenched. Now, when I say that they're not true, there might be circumstances where something's happened and then you've believed it to be true. But there are other decisions you could have made about yourself. We are always generalising, deleting and distorting information to fit our own personal worldview, which is why when you have a, a, a um, say 30 witnesses to the same event they all have seen and detailed specific different things and are all vehemently agreeing that vehemently saying this is what I saw this is how it was because they are literally processing the world around them in a completely different way 
So if you kind of come to understand whatever it is you want to achieve, if you believe you can't, well, you're going to just find the information to support your belief that you can't. But if you start to believe you can and you choose all the words and language to support that, then you can. And I've, I very much feel that I am a walking, walking proof that you can, you can change any area of your life by changing how you think and how you speak. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that inner cricket, critic, you make the point in the book, I think that um, it's there to keep you safe, but you've got to override it. Otherwise, you'll always be in this comfort zone and never and never kind of breaking out and realizing your true potential. Yeah. So that's the real power of some NLP and timeline therapy work and hypnosis work is is essentially bypassing that inner critic to get to the deeper part of your subconscious whose prime directive is to is to look after you. And your subconscious has created this inner critic at a point where something traumatic has happened. Uh, so that might be like, so for me, I talk quite openly in the book. I was attacked when I was 16. And so I made decisions about myself. I could have made different decisions, but I didn't. And then I believed those things to be true. But we also make decisions in our early childhood between ages six weeks and seven years old. And I think anyone who has a young child, you'd hate to think that they think that they know everything they're capable of and they've made limiting decisions. They don't know enough about the world. They don't know enough about their own capacity. But we're still running those programs from when we were children. Mm. So what a lot of the work I do is, is showing people that you can think differently and, and what you've, what you've held, <clears throat> held as true is not the truth. And is that through um, kind of, first of all, identifying what those beliefs are and then starting to move on and changing the language around yeah. what you can do? So I think you do, have to, you do have to acknowledge what words you're saying. What are you saying about yourself? Because that is what your subconscious is then bringing into your awareness. And I'm not talking here about law of attraction. I'm talking about the science of how the brain is working and creating your world. You, if you don't know what you're saying about yourself, how can you change it? But it's, so for me, I talk a lot about journaling and journaling, but to spot the comments you make. And then once you do that in your writing, you can notice the conversations you have. And we've all been in those conversations where we're with someone who's got a really low energy and they're always depressed. But for some reason, we find ourselves saying bad stuff about our lives to kind of match and mirror them. Mm. Well, that actually then really impacts you. That impacts your subconscious. It impacts your programming. You're then giving that as an instruction to your subconscious. It's like when we see someone making a joke about, oh, I'm, I'm useless at this or I always cock this up. Ha ha ha, aren't I stupid, for example. Mm. Well, actually, what they're doing is they're telling their brain, let's pick out all the bits from our filing cabinet in our mind that prove that I'm stupid. And let's any new information that comes to us, um, let's just pick up the bits where we're stupid so that we, we, we notice it. And what I'm, what I'm encouraging people to do is to start saying, actually, I'm really good at this. And I, I, I want to be better at this and I'm, I'm open to learning. So, so then what you're telling your brain over and over is I'm, I'm, I'm ready and I'm willing to learn and I'm good at this. And so that becomes part of your experience and you're because it's repetition. It, yeah. If you've been repeating something, 60,000 thoughts, 95% of those, and most of them have been negative. If you've been repeating them for a long time, they are deep neural pathways in your brain. And actually what I'm encouraging people to do is consciously create those new thoughts because they build new neural pathways that support the kind of person you want to be. Yeah, and I have a question on that, Anna. So because I know in the book, actually, you have some, um, some kind of mantras that you can repeat or affirmations, should mm. I say. And uh, the, the, the thing I know from, from my own sort of reading and self-development is 
and, and you can correct me here because you're the expert, but isn't it right that you can repeat these affirmations and whether or not you believe them in the first instance doesn't matter? So yeah. you talk a bit about money in there and people's money mindset mm. and how you've worked with clients who were afraid of charging what they were worth. And then they need to sort of can use an affirmation like money flows to me easily or, or, or some about self-worth. Is, is that right, that people don't need to absolutely believe it when they first start saying So what that? I would say about this, this is why it's important to recognise what the thoughts are. And I talk about, a lot about working with the blurts that come out. So when I get people to work with mantras, mm-hmm. I get them to write them down and I write, get them to write five times copied out. Now, every time you're writing that sentence, some little bit of your inner critic will come out and it will say some horrid statement. You're, oh, that's ridiculous. What are you even doing this exercise for? You're never going to have any money. Now, that's your limiting thought. So what I get people to do is write the same positive statement about money, for example, out five times. And by the end of them writing that, there'll probably be about eight sentences criticising their ability to get the money. Now, it's these sentences that are really their beliefs that are running that negative programme. So it's so they working need to let to... the beliefs come out as they're writing the affirmation. Yeah, so in your head, if you were writing out, for example... So a stream of consciousness. Money comes out to me easily and effortlessly. Money comes yeah. to me easily and effortlessly. You might, you might then be thinking, actually, something's popped into your head. Oh, that's rubbish. This is such a stupid exercise. I'm never going to have any money. Or if I have money, everyone's going to hate me. All these thoughts are right below the surface of what we think and do. But they're the limiting beliefs. So it's doing the work to understand and uncover where have those beliefs come from? What moment in our childhood happened that that's what we think? And going back to that moment... And thinking, well, what other choices could I have made? What did I think I understood about the world? And what information was there that I deleted so that that could actually, I could have made a different decision at that point? Because many of the things we think and believe have come from something, some conditioning, some moment in our childhood where mm. we've made a decision that it's true. So, it, yes, it's about saying the, the thing, the positive statements, because that is instructing your brain to think in a particular way and, and effectively giving it a programme. But you need to understand what's the inner critic program that is going to be working to sabotage that. And once you get to the, the, once you get to the nitty-gritty of what that is and what that story comes from, actually then you have the ability to change how you feel. Okay. Um, and you talk about people doing this in first thing in the morning. That's when you do it. And yeah. I know you mentioned about the first page is almost just conscious mind and then about a page and a half in, you're going to really start to unlock Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I encourage people to do this with no distractions around, no music, nothing like that. Their phone away from them. So they are literally sitting and they are just going to write to get it all out. Because what you're looking for is the moment you're in flow. You're doing it without censoring yourself, if you like. But you will, over time, start to notice the negative things you say about yourself and your own abilities. Because we do. We, in our casual speech, we denigrate ourselves over and over. But that impacts our lives in a massive way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so you recommending this first thing in the morning for people as part of their yes, morning routine? Yes, because you get out of bed, you want to kickstart your day in the best way possible. And if you wake up and you're feeling grotty and groggy, well, why spill that over into the conversation you have with your partner, with your children, the beliefs you're going to have rolling around your head as a result of that? If you get them out on the page, all those gripes and those groans, fine. But then you can spot what you're saying and you can turn it around so that you can choose better, more empowering language. Now, I'm no angel. It's not like I walk around and my household is perfect and we're always calm. This is a work in progress. Mm -hmm. But once you get to the root underlying beliefs that you've held about yourself and you challenge them, 
And then you create new supportive language. Over time, it has a massive impact. So are people going back when they see the limiting belief to try and go back to when it happened in childhood? Or is it going to be as simple as, actually, I'm going to create a new perception today? So you can do both. You can do both. But I think getting to that root cause of why you thought something in the first place, because this is a program you've potentially run for 30, 40 years, getting to the point of why you were saying, why you were thinking that in the first place and really examining what that event was. And I talk through how to do that in the book. Mm. What was that event that made me think, for example, I'm not a good writer or I don't deserve or I'm not good enough or I should never speak up. What was the very first event that happened and what did you decide? What did you decide about yourself? Because people know it. It's sitting there right beneath the surface of everything that we do. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and, and as you say in the book, it's, it's sometimes down to an external circumstance. I know you were talking about how you identified an increase in your family's wealth with a very violent event that took place when you moved house and you kind of had to bring that up to understand what that meant yeah, for you. But I would never have understood that's why yeah. I wasn't um, bringing in, in income. So to just to give a little, um, I talk a bit about money mindset and how I, even though I was really successful in certain areas of my life and I was earning a lot of money, I would always let go of it. The money wouldn't stay with me. And it was only through doing some more NLP work around money mindset, I suddenly realised that I thought money was not safe. Because when I was five years old, we moved into a new house after getting a lot more money in our family. And it just so happened that there were um, police dressed um, police officers with machine guns on the driveway because one of the houses had been attacked by a um, a notorious kind of. um, Well, he was I think he was raping people and all sorts. I mean, the the details were hazy because I was a child. Mm. But that fear around what it meant to leave our safe, comfortable old house where we felt very homely and safe to them being in this wealthy environment, the new house that we're supposed to be really excited about and the real fear that was kind of behind us moving in there. And he'd used the this gunman had used our garage as as part of his uh, hideaway. As a five-year-old, I picked up money isn't safe. Mum's crying. Dad's upset. And there's gunmen out the front. It's a very dramatic story. Terrifying. For me, that Mm. stopped me having more income. I could bring the money in, but I wanted rid of it. I didn't want to keep it. You would spend it as fast as it it. came I'd spend it before I even had it. And then I'd spend it again when it arrived. (laughs) And we we all do these programs. But it was only when I thought, oh, my gosh, I think money's dangerous. I think having money's dangerous because I'm much more comfortable when I'm at home and safe. That thought came from that five-year-old Anna staring out the window and then, you know, being whisked away and not having a lot of information, not having the resources. But what I could have decided at five was this has nothing to do with money. This is just some crazy guy. Mm. This is not. But my, my brain didn't see that. That kind of going up in the world became unsafe and became scary because I had limited resources. And it was only through pinpointing that story and going, OK, what is this I'm saying about money? What is my real fear here about having money? that I could then shift the amount of income that I was able to charge, keep, invest and save. Yeah, sure. Um, now, what is amazing to me is that you, with all of this success, which is pretty tremendous, um, you've just published a book. You've got another one. I think the audio version is about to hit if it hasn't already. Any day. It's, it's, it's any so day. frustrating. It's held up at, with Audible at the moment. Okay. But yes, any day now, the audio version will be available. Amazing. You've got um, a top iTunes podcast. Um, you've got a new book coming out next year. So to gain um, on podcasting, I believe, is that right? Yeah, so Podcast with Impact. I'm about to launch the podcast membership to help 
anyone who wants to podcast learn how to do it and how to be a really good guest, even if they don't want to podcast themselves, and then how to monetize podcasting. Um, and there's a lot of people who are out there podcasting but don't really know how to make the most of it. So I want to kind of teach everybody how to make sure that what they're doing is really get, getting value and building a successful business. So he says that my, my second book, hopefully early next year, will be about podcasting with impact to really make a difference. Brilliant. I mean, I've seen, I've seen in your Facebook group and things how much you share. So what I'm really keen here from the kind of high performance health um, outlook is there must be, you have so much energy. I mean, it's tremendous. And you're always out there really kind of bringing it, um, but with so much honesty as well. What are your routines? I know you've mentioned that you journal in the morning. I've seen you talk about the miracle morning. What does a day in the life of Anna Parker Naples look like, even though it may not be the same every day? So it's been a bit, it's been a bit bonkers recently because the, yeah. the launch for the book happened a couple of weeks before it was supposed to. So it's kind of caught me off on the hop a little bit. And that was my fault because I self-published and I hit the wrong button at the wrong time. Um, okay. Once it entered the charts, I just had to roll with it. Um, and what was interesting is that I fell out of my routines as a result of that and the adrenaline rushes that I was getting from the launch and how successful it's been. Uh, uh, so I, I've had to really go back very strictly to my routine. So my routine generally looks like I get up about an hour and a quarter before the children. This is about, about what quarter time? To, quarter to six. And I will feed the cat, feed the dog, let them out. I'll have a glass of water, brush my teeth. And generally, if I can get changed into some sports outfit, then that's better because otherwise I stay in my jammers and I want to fall asleep. And I journal. Um, and I journal stream of consciousness. I look at all the things, the negative things I'm saying, what beliefs are going to support my day better, what beliefs are going to support my where I'm going better. I meditate for just five, 10 minutes. I stretch. I do some yoga, although that's maybe a bit of a posh word for it. Um, I do some stretches that I vaguely think are a sun salutation, but are kind of my own <laughs> hybrid version with the cat and the dog wanting my attention as well. Uh, and then um, the journaling does take, I'd say, about 25 minutes of my time. Oh, OK, so you really allocate quite a significant chunk. Yeah, to... because if I don't do it, I go wonky. And that's what's happened in this launch period. I, I just was so overwhelmed but that's when I need to not watch my thoughts better. Mm. Um, and then, um, yeah, so I'll meditate for about five, 10 minutes and then I'll visualise. I'll just sit and think about where am I going for my business? So I know what my grandest schemes are for me and where I'm going long term and the amount of people I want to impact. So I will think about that. Um, Visualisation is a very, very powerful tool, uh, which we'll maybe come to in a minute. And then, um, yeah, so exercise. And then I read. So I will spend just even just half a chapter of some self-development book or a business book because that's the only time in the day that I'm going to be able to take that information on board uh, and then school run crazy school runness crazy crazy I've got three children two of them go to school at the moment so I get them to school sort them out and then my day work day begins about 8 30 um, and that can be really varied I coach a lot of people I run various groups and memberships um, I do quite a lot of podcast interviews either for myself or for other people's podcasts uh, and my daughter's at home. She's now home educated through an online schooling. So I don't teach her myself, but she's around. So we make sure that if our timetables connect, then we will have lunch together and we will walk the dog together. Now, sometimes that dog walk is also, I'll have a run. Sometimes I'll do a Facebook Live while I'm out. But I'm, it's really important to me that I get fresh air every day. And it's really important to me that I walk because when you've spent a long, long time believing that you can't, you I don't take that for granted. So I get out every day, no matter what. 
Um, and then the school run starts at three o'clock. So picking up the children, taking them to dance, taking them to hockey, taking them to football, rugby. I, I live a very normal life and I fit everything else around the children. Um, so I, I just have to be very focused on where I'm going. And yeah, that's absolutely. sort of the only way that I can manage. So you're essentially working this within school hours, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Are you having now, to work evenings, weekends on top? Um, it's very rare I work week- weekends. Um, the odd social media post, but that kind of bleeds over into personal life as well. Um, I'm pretty strict about that. I don't work when the kids are off unless I have a commitment to a paid membership. Um, I'll do a bit of social media, but again, that's sort of blurs the field. The only difference would be if I was in launch for a programme, then I would work evenings. Other than that, I... Other than sometimes if I'm in the car and someone's at dance or and I've got 10 minutes, then I'll do some social media. But on the whole, I do everything between 8.30 and 3. And I'm fairly strict about that. Yeah, that's very good. And this is really down to what you're saying is down to this morning routine because that's where you are honing your mindset. And you were saying you go wonky if you're not doing it. Yeah, Yeah, Um, I I do. And, And if I don't start my day out right, I don't eat well. And I don't sleep well because if I'm not doing the morning routine, I won't go to bed early and I'll just get stuck scrolling on Facebook forever. And that really affects my mind if I'm on my phone too much. So I do have to kind of balance it. But I'm not perfect and I mess up with this stuff. But I know that if I go back to that morning routine, it gets me on the straight and narrow very quickly. And so you'll see at the moment, um, because I'd fallen off, if you like, I then pull together an accountability group of other people who want to do it with me. Perhaps it's their first time. Um, and we'll just be in an accountability group. So I now I'm going hard for 30 days. I will probably do 90 days and then we'll see if I need it every morning. Um, I certainly won't need the accountability after that because it will have become a habit. So you will set up an accountability group that you're hosting to basically get yourself back on track and help other people get back on track at the same time. Yeah. So that wouldn't be, that's not a business thing. It's not part of my business it's just I will literally do a call out who wants to do this with me at the moment I've got 30 people in the group we started yesterday morning um, and I have to check in every morning and then if other people want to check in that's great but I know if I've got to tell the 30 other people that I'm doing it for 30 days that I'll do it then you will do it yeah Yeah. it's like having the personal trainer isn't it if you paid for it you'll turn up and make the session I can't lose face, so and I'm quite, I'm really competitive, so I will get to 30 days. Except Christmas happens, bat slap bang in the middle, and there's no way I'm getting up. Well, actually, I'll probably be up earlier on Christmas morning. Well, I've got three morning. children. It's pretty standard, isn't it, with three kids? Yeah. Yeah. I know it is in my house. <laughs> yeah, but um, there'd be no chance for me to meditate. That's no, cool. that's true. Because I I have my own little routine where I meditate in front of my red light which is just amazing. So it's kind of simulating sunrise effectively. Oh, nice. And I just, that is that is my one thing that I massively look forward to. Um, I don't know about you, but what I found with mindset, because I struggled with postnatal depression pretty badly and, uh, and it, it became quite chronic after a while. And um, the thing for me about getting out of bed is actually having something to look forward to. Once you find that thing in the morning, that's just your time and those morning hours, I don't know about you, I, I think are it. pretty magical. Also think I'm a nicer mother. I am much yeah. nicer waking the kids up if I've had some time to Me myself. Too. Much kinder. Yes. <laughs> much kinder. I know. Well, the elf woke up our house, you see, quite uh, early, unfortunately, uh, on the first, through sheer excitement had he moved. And, and then I didn't manage my morning. Yeah, it was a different day. So. Yes, those pesky elves. Those they pesky seem like a great elves. idea the first time they visit. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> now, before we... Um, sort of round off you did mention visualization there and about coming back to it because I know a lot of people don't really understand visualization 
Um, can you explain, because some people will visualize, you talked about visualizing the success you want in your business and what you're going to do. And kind of that's almost a goal exercise, isn't it? Of looking ahead of where you want to be. Other people will go to, to the point of having photographs up and vision boards of the house they want to live in. What's your concept of visualization and how do you recommend people use it? So I do, I do a bit of all, but the one that works best for me is literally closing my eyes and having an image and a feeling in my body of what I'm going to create. So, for example, years ago, I knew that I wanted to win an award for my, my work. And I started thinking about this and what it would be like to be in a room with people being recognized for my talent and my ability way before that even was even remotely on the horizon. But because I was doing that on a regular every single day for up to five minutes, then you're looking for the opportunity for that to happen. So I would connect with the right people. I would think about what events and conferences can I get to? How can I meet the people that might be in that room I'm thinking about? So you're kind of training your brain to look for the opportunity because you're telling yourself uh, this is this is true and this is coming. Your brain cannot actually tell the difference between something you think and experience in your body and something that's actually happened to you. It can't see them as different. So if you are, this is why it's so important with the words, the language, the things you think because, and training your brain to do it so it supports you because your brain knows no different. And as I've said before, your brain is always trying to flag up to you what you've told it to search for. So if I've told it to search for opportunity where I'm winning awards, then that's what it's going to show me. So you see now a lot of CEOs use this, really, you know, massive corporations. They use it to be better leaders and to think about where they're going and the kind of person that they need to be. Um, it's used a lot by pro athletes who are training for the Olympics now, pretty much across the board, so that when they are running that race in their head again and again and again. And the reason that it's important before they even get there is that when they are running the race for real, their brain knows no different, but their brain knows they've done it before. So therefore, it's a habit. And what it means is that when you have something that is a challenge or a struggle or that could be something that pulls you off course or off route, actually, your brain is so programmed then to keep going because the habit is, is to think about the thing you're building or the thing that you want because it doesn't know that it's not true, uh, that you're much more likely to get back on course with the thing that you want to achieve. Okay. I don't know if I've explained that. Yeah, no, you have really, really well, because it's basically going to keep leading you to the path of opportunity because that's what you're trying to create. A bit yeah. like they talk about the, is it the reticular activation system where when you buy a new car, all of a sudden you've yes. got how many people this on the road it. have that car and you never knew before. Yeah. You were like, oh my yeah. God, So it's the same thing, but it's, it's consciously doing it for your business. So what yeah. happened for me, the first award that I was a finalist for, I didn't actually win this award, but the first, for me in that image that I used to think about, I was wearing a red dress and I had red nail, nail varnish on. Now, I, I, I used to bite my nails, so that was always a complete impossibility as well. But when I, when I was first a finalist in LA, in that room, I was wearing a red dress and I was on a platform with people and I, I created that circumstance not because I made it up, but because I made those possibilities happen, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so when I was there, you? again, so this is an important thing. When I was there then, I don't have that moment of, oh, I don't deserve this. And, oh, God, it can't possibly be me and I'm a fraud because I thought this was going to happen for a very long time. So, therefore, I feel more congruent and comfortable with the fact that that is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have... Do you have any, when you're going off track, okay, because you say like no one's perfect, mm. do you have any mantras or things that you can, 
automatically used to bring yourself back on track. So it could be at any point. No, I would have to go back to square one and look at what am I thinking? What am I saying? So for example, I've been struggling quite a lot with migraines lately. We've had a lot of stress, a lot of family issues, a lot of really serious things happening alongside some very big launches and very public launches for me. And I kept getting these migraines. And so one day I had one and I I was kind of going, well, what is this? Because we only do things that kind of help us in some way. And then I was kind of thinking, well, what is this migraine about? And I came to understand that it was letting me stop at a time when I was very busy and I was doing so many things for other people. My migraine was the only way that I was stopping. So the signal then is, okay, so if I know that I need to stop, how can I build this into my life so that I have that stop? This is why I've started the Miracle Morning again. How can I make sure I have this stop in a supportive way rather than having the stop as a migraine that is sabotaging what I want in my life? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that lots of things that happen for us are, are just warn, warning signs about the way we're thinking. Mm, I agree. So you almost could be on the path to burnout if you don't yeah. pull the brakes on and actually address it. Yeah, and absolutely. For you, you've recognised that migraines are a bit of a warning sign. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I tackle that. I tackle that. And what's the root cause of it? What am I really wanting? What do I need? Mm. What's it indicating? And how can I do that in a way that's actually good for my life as opposed to sabotaging everything? Yeah, absolutely. And what about, no one really ever talks about this, so I'm always interested. What about in the evening? How do you close your day? So my day is kind of crazy because my eldest is 14. So I'm often still picking up from clubs at about nine o'clock at night, which is mental. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll have had dinner with the children earlier and then I'll catch up with my husband. He often gets home at about half past eight. So um, my daughter and I and my husband and I uh, separately, I will make sure we have some wine down together. Um, I don't have a routine in the evenings, actually. I'll often have a bath. Because it, again, helps me to switch off. But it's about good chat and conversation um, and checking in with them rather than just my day. Because my day is all about me and being busy and getting my business out there. So actually switching off and finding out what they're up to is quite important to me. Mm, Sure. You don't don't journal at night or... No, I don't. I don't tend to. I do if I wake up in the night and I can't sleep, for example. I would then, but I don't do anything. I don't really have a routine at night. Yeah, you just make sure you get get to bed. Mm. Um, Yeah. What is the favourite or most impactful book that you've read, apart from your own, of course? So I talk a lot in the book about The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which was a text written for performers and artists. I think also The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. I love that book. And there's, it's that compound effect of doing little things every day and all of a sudden they've snowballed. And I feel very strongly that that's what's happened in my life. It's the tiny, tiny little decisions I make on a daily basis that has allowed me become a bestseller to have an amazing podcast to have a successful business because of the tiny things it's not the dramatic things it's the tiny tiny actions that you take that build up over time Mm. and where can people find you Anna so best place really I'm all over social media go to my website annaparkernaples.co.uk or .com and you can find out all about me there's links there to entrepreneurs get visible podcast there's links to my book get visible Um, and all of my other social media and find out about how to work with me. Brilliant. I will link to all of that in the show notes. And just thank you so much. I know this was, you're doing a series of interviews this week, so I know your time is limited. I just want to say a big thank you for coming on and sharing all that valuable content. You're more than welcome. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimise your mind, body and lifestyle.